Zara, I am so excited to talk about today's sponsor. It's the new film, Challenges. It's from the director of Call Me By Your Name, Luca Guadagnino, and stars and is produced by none other than our girl Zendaya. Yeah, you know I love her. You love her too. I love her so much. Zendaya plays Tashi Duncan, a former tennis prodigy turned coach who is married to a Grand Slam champion, currently on a losing streak. And if that's not bad enough, Tashi's strategy to help her husband break his curse sort of takes a surprising and awkward turn. Hmm, awkward indeed. Because now he must face off against his former best friend and Tashi's ex-boyfriend, Patrick. Zara, the tensions are running high. I know. Tashi's someone who makes no apologies for her game on and off the court. It's her game, her rules, but with her past and present colliding, Tashi must face reality and ask herself, what will it cost to win? Challenges is the sexy drama that everyone's talking about and it's definitely not one you want to miss. It's about passion, friendship and what happens when your past comes back to challenge you. You can grab a ticket from Tuesday the 26th. So grab your friends and get excited. I will be grabbing you and we are definitely going to be going to watch it. Oh, please. Thank you so much to Challenges for making this episode of Shameless possible. Welcome to Shameless, the celebrity and pop culture podcast for smart women who really love dumb stuff. You're joined, as always, by Melbourne journalists Michelle Andrews and Zara McDonald. G'day. Coming up on today's show, Lena Dunham seems to be on a PR comeback of sorts, but is it actually working? Plus, why influencers are slowly losing us online and how the environment is sparking a YouTube movement. But first, Michelle, how has your week been going? It has gone so quickly. I am shocked that it's Saturday. Do you know why? It's December. December is on a different time length altogether. I feel like I am just floating through this month, not really knowing what day it is or where I am or what I'm doing. But it was a good week. It's good to be back in Melbourne and fine to be back at work. Um, I was in Bali last week. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's been good. What about your week? Uh, Week has been fine. I came to the confronting realization via you that I have been banned from posting memes on our Instagram account because apparently my sense of humor isn't mainstream enough. You are so alternative. But I never realized. It's so funny because I was working in an office for one day this week doing copywriting work and one of the girls turned to me and was like, that's an interesting thing that just went up on the Instagram account. Classic Zara. Michelle made me delete it. Well, some of the things you put up there I don't even understand. What do you mean you don't understand? There's nothing like being told that your your sense of humour is not for the mainstream and it's too quirky, which was your words. If anyone's wondering what epitomises Zara's social media meme content, this would be good. go this- onto our Instagram page and look at the shocking meme what of me on Instagram versus me in real life. That's not bad. That's deep. I think that got the least likes we've got on I anything. I think that is so good. That's that's actually quite philosophical, the person that runs that account, so I'll have you know. It's not, that wasn't a funny one. That was trying to be a little bit thought provoking. And it provoked zero thoughts and zero interaction. Anyway, I've been asked to vet (laughs) all my memes to Michelle. I'll have you know that I did post that Chloe Kardashian one, which I thought was very funny. You did get it approved by me first. You had posted other ones to me or sent other ones to me, which I vetoed. And she does it very politely. She doesn't say (laughs) no. She says, ha ha, I don't get it. (laughs) I'm like, right. 
because I'm like the voice of the basic bitch. I am very <laughs> basic in what I like, very mainstream, and therefore I know what the vast majority of people will like. But there's a lot of currency in that. There's nothing <laughs> good in not being able to tap into what people find funny. There's absolutely nothing good in it. The other thing I did this week is I keep saying that I don't have enough time to read the book that I meant to for book club next week, which is The Lost Man by Jane Harper, her third book. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I was sitting at home last night after dinner on Instagram, finding myself deep in a hole on Carly Kloss's dad's Instagram account. And it was when I was scrolling through his photos and cacking myself at his captions that I thought I absolutely have time to read a book. This is my problem. Can you please let go of Carly Kloss? I need to show you her dad's Instagram account. I don't care. Absolute cracker. So she, when he announced the engagement oh of Carly and Josh Kushner. We're doing this, are we? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. When he announced the engagement of Carly and Josh Kushner, he uploaded a selfie of him and his wife. Just being like so excited to announce the engagement of Carly and Josh. <laughs> Just so beautifully a dad moment. Wholesome. Mm. Real wholesome. Uh, did you consume much this week? Uh, what did I consume? No, I didn't actually. I feel like we're putting so much in our recommendations Same. newsletter that I'm ending up a bit dry for the podcast. So anyone who wants a full list of listen, watch, read recommendations, you can go subscribe to our newsletter. The link is in our Instagram bio. However, I do have a recommendation that isn't a listen, watch or read. I recommend that everyone listening to this podcast goes and subscribes or downloads, sorry, that's probably the better term. I mean, podcast lingo. Go download the Raise app, R-A-I-Z. This is not sponsored, of course. It is an app that allows you to basically, it's like a digital money tin. I've written stories about it before. And this year, I am not denting my savings account for Christmas presents at all. I've had my Raise account there for probably four months, four or five months, just earning little dollars here and there as I go through about my life. It's now got $500 in there, which I will use for all of my Christmas presents. I don't even need to think about budgeting for Christmas because it's all in my raise account. So how it works is it can, it's linked to your bank account because I also got it a few months ago and I'm doing almost as well as you. Um, it can round up a lot of your purchases. So if you've mm-hmm. got bought a coffee for $3.50, it might round it up to $4 and put it straight into the account. So you 50 cents would yeah. take, yeah. You can also automatically put a certain amount of dollars in there every week i think i put about 15 dollars a week in a week yeah i think i only do 30 a month so it doesn't well i just want a little increment so it doesn't necessarily hurt my bank account when it's mm-hmm. happening and then you've got this sort of extra tiny savings account it also invests that money but for those of you who are you know following the markets at the moment <laughs> not me <laughs> it's like dipping your toe They're into not, investing yeah but the no one's earning much money in investing at the moment so i'm no. down about eight dollars which i'm not stoked about yeah i will post a screenshot somewhere in our instagram or our facebook group so you guys can see what it's about it is my number one recommendation of 2018 i think it is the best app i've ever downloaded cool. it's the best app i've ever downloaded it paid for what did i use it for last time when i when we came up to winter i used it to pay for my winter wardrobe so instead of denting my savings account by buying expensive jackets or coats or really heavy winter stuff i just used my raise account and didn't even need to think about it so for things like rego for your car or insurance it's perfect for little savings up to big goals like that. I love it. Obviously, the first thing, though, just moving right along that we are talking about today, which has absolutely nothing to do with finance, <laughs> markets or money, so I have <laughs> no segue, is there was a huge Lena Dunham profile in the cut this week. We posted it in our recommendations newsletter. It took about 10, 15, 20, God knows how long, minutes for me to read. 
Did it take you a while to sort of sit and consume as well? Yeah, I actually did it in two big chunks. Mm. I got about halfway through and then took a break because there's a lot in there. And I think the writer, Alison Davis, wove so much meaning and sentiment through the story that you needed a bit of time to actually sit back and see what she thought of Lena. She didn't just put it out there with adjectives or anything. She was quite discreet. She was very discreet. And Mm. I think there was a lot of hidden meaning to be taken from the story, which meant it was a lot to take in. The essence of the story, I guess, is Lena Dunham has obviously been under a lot of scrutiny for a lot of years now. And she's sort of been very quiet since she wrote that story for Vogue about having a hysterectomy and breaking up with Jack Antonoff. And it's almost been a whole year where she's sort of quietly flown under the radar as much as she possibly can. And it was it's kind of like a massive comeback piece. She's got a few pretty high-profile projects coming up. And I think it was probably about time that she reflected on the years that were. Mm. I feel very conflicted about her and this piece, which is probably no different to how I feel about her and have for a very long time. But I think everybody feels pressure to sort of have an opinion on this story and of Lena Dunham. Do you get that sense too? Yeah. Well, it exploded on Twitter, which I'm not very active on Twitter. However, I did see it trending that day and it kind of piqued my interest a little bit. I think... The profile perfectly illustrated a woman who completely lacks self-awareness. I think that that's potentially Lena Dunham's biggest flaw in that she makes mistakes and we all make mistakes. I totally get that. However, she lacks the self-awareness to understand why people are offended and why what she said is bad. I feel like she apologizes. It's kind of like she's shooting from the hip and she apologizes rapid fire without actually thinking about why she did what she did and how she can avoid doing the same thing in the future. And for that reason, she perpetually makes mistakes that offend whole groups of people, particularly people of color and marginalized communities. She, I think that's her biggest issue. She's a bit of a narcissist, which we're going to talk about narcissism later, but at the crux of everything, I don't think she thinks before she acts. She doesn't. She absolutely doesn't. She sort of has this motor mouth that, that rolls without thinking. And it does seem like she has an inability to completely remove herself from a situation and completely stand back and look at it from this bird's eye view kind of perspective. I think this piece in particular captured her as a pretty unlikable character, but an unlikable character who you have this whole lot of sympathy for. That's how I felt. The The story went a lot into her struggles with chronic illness. She has a very severe endometriosis. She has fibromyalgia and she has an addiction to or has had an addiction to um, sort of prescription drugs in the past too. So there's a lot going on in her life. And for me, one of the first things I thought of as I was reading this is this is kind of the raw, uncomfortable reality of chronic illness. Not that it excuses bad behavior or shitty opinions, but it does make you hard to be around. And I think it can overwhelm your youth when everybody is going out and having fun and doing great things. When you are riddled by a chronic illness that isn't very sexy or fun or people don't really understand, it can have a huge impact on the person that you are becoming. Yeah. And I think what we're seeing is a woman who's in the midst of an identity crisis. This is a woman who's just found out very recently that she will never have children of her own, her own biological children. She's had a radical hysterectomy. And so she has been vocal in the past about wanting to be a mother and wanting children. And that's a huge thing to go through in the public eye. I know that this is all stuff that she has shared that she probably didn't need to share in the moment. 
And on reflection, I wonder if she would look back and think, yeah, maybe I would tell the public this, but not as it's happening second by second. I feel like when these huge things happen to you, you need a little bit of time and space to sometimes process the event itself Mm. and what Lena Dunham does is she'll post a selfie from the hospital bed before her radical hysterectomy so before she's even given herself the chance to adapt to her new life she's putting it out there for everyone to see and it's kind of like this very slow can't look away from train wreck that's happening in real time I think her biggest error out of all of them which there are many if anyone hasn't been aware of Lena Dunham's misdemeanors, I guess. Go Google them. There is a whole list on babe.net, which is crazy. But her biggest error was probably the Me Too era, where she basically said a black actress named Aurora Perinau was a liar and falsely accused a girl's writer of sexual assault. Yeah, that was a very hard one because somebody in her team that was very close to her was accused of sexual assault right in the thick of the Me Too movement. And she came out straight away and said that she believed him and not her. I I do – I am in so many minds about this and that is very hard, but I don't think I am uncommon in that sentiment. I think if my feminism in my 20s was reduced to kind of global sound bites, I would be in a bit of trouble too. I think many of us would. Do you think that though? I think we've all said things to friends that might be construed in a bad way if it was yeah. – she's the one who's putting this out there. Yes. And I think that's the toughest part because that is some of the beauty of her work in being able to completely overshare. And I think that's Mm. the beauty of Lena Dunham. And that's why she's become so well-known so quickly Mm. and so young in that that's just what she does. She's the child of two artists and that is her shtick for lack of a better word. I know that she puts herself out there, but I think we do need to cut a lot of people in their 20s slack when they are talking in the public eye and holding them to account for things they said 10 years ago. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. I will give this segment a bit of a sugary spin. What did you think about the rumours that her ex-boyfriend, Jack Antonoff, who Lena Dunham was with for five years, cheated on her with Lord? That was very interesting to me. So for those who didn't read the profile, uh, Alison Davis asked Dunham about the rumours that Lord and Jack Antonoff sort of had an affair. And there is this very funny viral PowerPoint. Did you read this? Yes, I read the entire thing. A wonderful (laughs) fan put together this amazing weird investigation into the fact that Jack Antonoff and Lord had an affair and it sort of got like key players and Lena Dunham herself said she respected the craft and the art of what this fan did but obviously it was very hard for her to look back on and she said she had a conversation with Jack Antonoff and he said nothing happened and she did say that she hadn't spoken to Lord since her and Antonoff broke up. Which is fascinating to me. They were very, very close. They lived together and now she hasn't spoken to Lord since the breakup. It's very jarring to hear somebody talk so openly publicly about a feud we would never normally get insight into. I think it's it's in a similar vein to me as kind of the Kardashians. Nobody gives us into, insight into these things. No famous person gives us insight into their breakup or their friendships or if they aren't talking to somebody. But the Kardashians do with Tristan Thompson and Lena Dunham does with this kind of relationship. And I was floored when I read that. You don't mm. see this stuff. Mm. And I've got to say, after reading the entire presentation, I agree with the fan. I think there was something there. Really? Yeah, absolutely. I think when you look at it very objectively as an outsider, I would think that something happened there. And I don't understand why her and Lord would not have any kind of relationship anymore after being so close and living together. That's just my little 
That's really interesting. There. I did see a great tweet during the week, and it was by a woman called Zayn Ibaktar who said, Lena Dunham somehow seems to have harnessed and peddled a narrative previously only reserved to white men, that their poor, harmful behavior is evidence of complexity and vulnerability, and that that in turn is worth enough to be considered both honest and art. There is some truth to that in that she is so complex and so complicated and so maybe clever and in her own world and stuck in her own head that it is art, her mistakes are art. Mm. I don't know what I think about Lena. I feel massive pressure to put her in a box. Is she unhelpful or helpful? Is she good or bad? Should we dislike her or feel sympathy for her? I think she's complex and therefore so are my feelings. And I think people can be a messy mix of all of the above. And the biggest mistake we make is trying to work out, is she completely helpful or completely unhelpful? Mm. Does her work do enough that sort of negates all of the the negativity she might do personally? I don't know. And I don't think that matters. I think the best thing she can do from here is actually stop putting herself in the center of stories, which she Mm. said in the profile that she is aiming to stop. I think that's the crux of all her issues, that she constantly brings massive social and political issues back to herself, Mm. which is not very likable and it, it has gotten her in a whole heap of shit. So if she just starts letting her art speak for itself, she won't constantly be trending on Twitter and won't constantly be a source of apathy and annoyance. I do agree with that. But at the end of the day, all I can think about is there is something so strange about how much we revile Lena Dunham in comparison to someone like Johnny Depp, who has inflicted actual and physical and bodily harm, allegedly, on other people. That we can have such disdain for someone that says thoughtless things a lot rather than someone that does active damage. Mm. I think we should also finish on a note that says she's done a lot of important work and, and that work might not be particularly diverse or it might not be to everybody's taste, but I think her work has been very good for a lot of people and, and that's important to consider too. And now it's time for the quick and dirty. Every week we bring you the top five celebrity news stories that you might have missed this week while you're busy having a life. Zara, you are taking it away this week. I am. My story number one, Ariana Grande's Thank You Next music video is a love letter to Legally Blonde, Mean Girls and Bring It On. That is from Vox. What a music video. What a star at the moment. She has managed to capitalise on the shittest time of her life. Absolutely. And she is reading the moment so well to bring these three movies back. I'm really curious as to how she got copyright permission uh, for these. I'm guessing each movie and whoever holds the rights to each movie thought that it would be good to kind of reinvigorate Mm. the brand and put it back on the mainstream pop culture scene. This music video is my favourite Almost ever. I love some of Taylor Swift's music videos and I love this from Ariana Grande. She's doing a lot of good stuff, I think, for young girls in this exact idea that Legally Blonde, Mean Girls and Bring It On are so uh, loved by young women and so not taken seriously by anybody else. And there has to be something to that, don't you think? Absolutely. Number two, Help Wanted. Leaked emails reveals the Bachelorettes Tate Radley and Ali Ochin are searching for a talent agent dot, 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 but it's riddled with spelling errors. I just get a Daily really, Mail. Oh, of course. I just get a really big kick 
out of celebrities and reality stars spelling things wrong. I don't know why. I wish I didn't. That is a weird But kick. I do. No, because like, you know, when you see someone super, super attractive spell something incorrectly, it's just that little bit of like a pat on the back being like, you're okay. Like at <laughs> you least, <can> spell. <laughs> at least you can spell. You might not be the most attractive human you on the earth. You don't have abs, but you can spell definitely, not like defiantly. Or definitely. Yeah. Well, there's I just, that. I don't know why. I just really enjoy seeing spelling errors in people's things because it makes me feel like maybe I'm not on the wrong path and maybe fame is their thing, but spelling is my thing. Yeah, everybody has their niche, eh? (laughs) Number three, Good Play star Jamila Jamil signs on to host a truly miserable game show and joins Disney Cartoon. That is from Vanity Fair. The reason I was pushing us to include this in this week's Quick and Dirty is because I really enjoy that a political woman and an outspoken woman can say exactly what's on her mind and be as controversial as she likes and still get work. Mm. I think that's something that even I fear in myself, that obviously this podcast is quite political and we're very free with our opinions and we will never, ever change that. But in the back of my mind, sometimes I do think, well, will that affect my chance of being on other mainstream media in a more, Mm. I don't know, formal capacity under a big corporation because being an outspoken woman is often looked down upon or grimaced at. Too much of a loose cannon, Michelle. Yeah, but to see Jamila Jamil say what she says and do what she does and still soar in her career is comforting to me, but also I think that we can reward her as a society is a good thing because I think maybe 10 years ago she would have been seen as this mouthy woman who couldn't be trusted to work for a big corporation on a big production. Number four, Brittany Hockley and Cass Wood reunite with Nick Cummins for the first time since The Bachelor. That is from Who magazine. Yeah. I wasn't sure what to think about this. So Nick Cummins was at the iconic uh, runway show in Sydney this year, Mm -hmm. or this week, I should say. Brittany Hockley, Cass Wood, and sort of every Bachelor star known to man was also there. Britt, Cass, and Nick were doing like quite a few Instagram stories together, sort of joking, jovial, kind of look at us all hanging out. Mm. I felt weird about it, and I'm not sure why. I don't know whether they just thought in the moment this will get people talking, so let's just do it. It looks like the kind of thing that I would have done very drunk if I was broken up with an ex and been like, how funny is this? Let's put ourselves on social media and troll everybody. Yeah, I think potentially there was a lot of champagne and Prosecco involved. And pretending to be far more okay than you are. (laughs) I mean, I imagine they're kind of over it, but it's still very awkward. Either that or the second thing is, which is actually probably more likely the case than what I think about it, is the Iconic Show was very public. There was a lot of public figures there, a lot of photographers there. If they were having a conversation, people were going to see and people were either then going to write about it or take photos. So maybe it's just them taking ownership of that story. I wonder if we're thinking about it too much. I think potentially... I think that's that's never the case. (laughs) I think potentially it was just a group of drunk girls and a drunk boy who were just trying to deal with an awkward situation in the best way they could. However, I would like to add, when I bump into anyone I have ever dated... It is the most soul-crushing, awkward experience. I can't deal with it. I see some people with their ex behave so maturely and like be best friends and be all buddy-buddy. I can't do it. I seize up. It's like my whole body goes cold when I see an ex. I was with you when you bumped into somebody a couple of months ago. Actually, I handled that well. (laughs) I thought you did handle it well. I I didn't even have to say much. I was just sort of like wondering 
if this was what I thought it was, because I thought you would be far too awkward if this was an ex. I think that is the only ex kind of guy that I can talk to and it still not be awkward because I ended things. Yeah, right. So for me, it's like I have the power, whereas, whereas with other exes, it was kind of like either mutual or he, he ended it and therefore... It is very enjoyable being sort of that third party, I have to say. You did enjoy it. I looked over you halfway through, just like <laughs> taking it all in. Massive grin. <laughs> Number five, Carl Stefanovic to walk down the aisle while ex-wife walks into new TV gig. That is from The Age. I missed this. Please explain. So Carl Stefanovic is marrying Yasmin Yabra, as we tend to call her. Isn't it Jasmine? That was a joke. It Did was... we used to call her Yasmin Yabra? No, we always nearly do. It's Jasmine Yabra. So it's like a Marie Claire, Marie Claire sitch. It is. In my head, I always have to say Jasmine before I say it out loud. Anyway, they're marrying in Mexico. Uh, good for them. Exciting time. So sick of this story, yes. But I can imagine it would be pretty difficult for Cass Thorburn, particularly because everybody's looking to her at the moment and seeing what she's going to do or if she's going to say anything. However, the talk of the town is that she has been signed up to Channel 10's Dancing with the Stars reboot. Really? Yeah. Interesting, oh. huh? I don't mind so much. I don't know. I feel like I'm on her side in that I think that it's awful when – a man leaves a marriage for the much younger woman. That's a trope that obviously is just so annoying. However, I also don't think it's great for her to brand herself as the jilted ex-wife. Well, that's an interesting point that you make because maybe that's exactly what she's not trying to do. But I think she is. Maybe she's trying to rebrand using this exact time to do it. So people consider her as her own entity, her own person, and a brand separate to Carl. Maybe we'll get to know her as her own person. I absolutely hope that's the case. And if that is the case, she needs to stop talking about Carl and his wife and the kids. She hasn't done so for a while. Mm, she did it this year. It's November, December. <laughs> that's almost we will a agree to disagree. And we are going to bend the rules a little bit this week because we have a headline we want to make up ourselves because it's not being reported anywhere else and we run this ship so we can do what we want. <laughs> you just said we run this shit. I'm like, yeah, we do. No, no, we run this ship. <laughs> this podcast is ours. Steer away. Number six, Sticky Fingers announced as the headline act of two separate festivals in the space of 24 hours. Now, to the naked eye and for those who aren't really that across why that is such an interesting and potentially dangerous thing. Sticky fingers are shrouded in controversy. Oh, yeah. They have a long and ongoing history with disturbing allegations of racial, physical abuse, sorry, of racial and physical abuse and potential violence against women. So we wanted to cover this story because we think this is an hashtag orange card. Correct. Considering we are teaming up with Respect Victoria this uh, month for their orange card campaign, this is pretty terrifying that a band with such a cult following and that has never apologized for any of the things that they have done are just having this massive revival and are just back on tour as if nothing happened. Absolutely. So for anyone who's missed it, we'll give you a very brief rundown. The Sticky Fingers frontman, his name is Dylan Frost. He was allegedly involved in an abusive altercation with Indigenous singer Thelma Plum, where he spat in her face, allegedly, verbally abused her, and then attempted to punch her. That incident then carried on in future months with Thelma Plum kind of being this target of the mm. band. And it was just kind of disgusting that there's this Indigenous female singer and this male band is just targeting her and pulling her out and 
vilifying her. Totally. There's other things, of course. Um, There was an incident where the band members made racist comments towards another Indigenous band called Dispossessed. And, of course, Frost was made to leave a Sydney pub after making aggressive transphobic comments to a woman there. There's all of that. And then there was an interview earlier this year that they did with Tom Tilly for Triple J where he was asking them about this and basically, and I quote, one of them mumbled towards the end of that interview, well, I guess boys will be boys. Orange card. Orange card. And that's how we wanted to finish the quick and dirty today. Orange card, orange card, orange card. There were conversations in our Shameless Podcast Community Facebook group this week that received hundreds and hundreds of comments. On Tuesday, listener Crystal Lee asked, is anyone else sick of Instagram? She went on to say, from time to time, I'm seeing myself do a massive cull of who I'm following. Then another crazily popular thread popped up. Suddenly, an Aussie influencer had posted an Instagram story of her giving a banana to a homeless man on the street without appearing to ask him for permission first. Last but not least, another influencer donned a tiny pair of underwear and snapped a mirror selfie to spruik a hair straightener that wasn't even turned on to the power. Zara, we've been wanting to do this segment for months and now finally seems like the right time to do it. How do you feel about narcissism on Instagram? Good question. It is probably hard to decipher exactly how I feel in one sentence because it's kind of like asking someone to remove themselves from a world they've been in head deep for years. I don't know how we can very in such bite-sized pieces, which people try to do, objectively analyze sort of the water you're swimming in when you're saturated by it. So I have in the last couple of days really tried to remove myself as a user and just look at it objectively because I think if there's one thing I hate about Instagram the most, it is how narcissism permeates every corner of it. It is a platform that actively encourages us to be narcissists, all of us, by virtue of the fact it's a platform that is built entirely on aesthetics. Mm. As we've said on this podcast before, it is this scary kind of black mirror-like program that the hotter you are, the more people want to eye your content. Mm. And before we get into it a little bit, I do want to just say, I think when people have conversations about narcissism, one of the points that is often brought up is, well, what's the downside? Like if if we are a narcissistic society, mm. what's the downfall of that? And in my mind, I think it actually does come back to the Greek myth where Narcissus is so obsessed with studying his own reflection in the water that he falls in and drowns. I think the more narcissistic and self-interested we are as a society, the more we fail to see what's happening around us. And I think it makes for a less compassionate world. Totally. The more we are self-interested and self-invested, the more disparity there is between the upper echelons and the very, very lowest of the lows. So it is a massive problem that our culture, particularly our generation, rewards narcissism and vanity more than any other trait. I think if you looked even at our industry, Zara, and we've had so many conversations about this in the past, uh, narcissists often go into the media because it gives them the platform and narcissists often go into the social media space because again it's a platform waiting there to be taken and perhaps that's why we've found ourselves talking about this and stewing over this again and again and again because we are bothered to see some people in our industry constantly gloating and boasting and being so self-interested without actually looking at the world around them 
Exactly. And when you say that narcissism does tend to sort of blinker you into looking at the world around you and how your actions might impact somebody else, I think the key example we can look at this week is someone like Khloe Kardashian spruiking Flat Tummy Co. All that's about is aesthetics. All that's about is looking hot. All that's about is, is losing weight without any consideration about the impact that has on young people. So I think before we do start, it's important to say while calling sort of a general community narcissistic can be quite harsh, for us it can be the root of all issues on online. Mm. It is the root of all of social media's biggest downfalls. I wonder if it's what's led to this is how Instagram has let us all have our own personal brand. Before that, when people met us, they could sort of craft their own ideas about who we were and what we stood for. Instagram has sort of given us the power back to be able to craft the person we want to be. I can basically do a massive redo on who I want to be, the things I want to say. I can put up any picture that paints a certain kind of general larger picture about the person that I want people to think that I am. And I think what that's done is it's given us, ourselves included, this inflated sense of self-importance because all we think about when posting stuff, and I say this generally, and I know some people won't be the same, but generally all we think about when we're posting is ourselves Mm -hmm. and how it's going to look from the greater sense of our profile. And I think the more I've thought about it during the week and across the months that we've wanted to do this segment, the more I think a sign of a narcissist on Instagram is when they cannot see the broader implications of what they're posting because they're too self-concerned to do so. And I think it reminds me of when we spoke about lip filler and Botox a few months ago and how we've spoken to some influencers in the industry and we've seen influencers be uh, interviewed about this and they constantly say, it's just my body, it's just my life. Even the Sarah's Day stuff, it's just what my life and the content that I'm putting out. If they cannot physically understand that what they do has a broader implication to me sorry if any of those girls are listening that's an indication of narcissism if you can't possibly put yourself in someone else's shoes in a different situation to yours potentially more of more of a vulnerable position that is narcissism in itself and it's so dangerous because when I look on Instagram now and I see how much we are all invested in what we look like more than anything else we are heading down the most perilous path imaginable. I can't remember a generation that has been so saturated by narcissism and arrogance ever, really. I think it's become a river of arrogance without anyone calling it out because everybody's sort of got caught up in the platform because we've all got accounts ourselves. I, I think this has been, personally, the hardest part about this job for me. I have this massive internal battle because a lot of people in this industry or a lot of people in general need to use a platform like Instagram in order to find work. We've sort of lost this ability to put our heads down and do work and let that work be noticed by itself because you kind of have to be loud about the things that you're doing in order for other people to pick them up and give you other work now because Mm. everybody's doing it. If you're not yelling out what you're doing, you're going to get lost. And that's a really hard reality that I've had to tell myself in the last few months because I'm not very good at Instagram. I'm really not. I have always loved it because I'm a huge curious lurker. I love looking at what other people are doing and sort of thinking about that. But I... When it comes to what I post, I am desperately conflicted on how I go about it. I don't know what I'm doing. But like I just said, the reality for us is if our feed isn't a public curation of all our work, it will be hard for us to be taken seriously. It will be hard for us to pick up other work. 
And I think that's across the board in that everybody has to do that. And now this is huge senses that we all have to be very loud about everything we're doing. Yeah. Do you want to talk about the banana incident? Because the banana incident on our Facebook group did really spark a lot of conversation, both for and against. So I'll give a bit of background. We don't want to talk about the influence involved because I think this is actually just an incident that lots of influencers have been involved in. So we can talk about it in isolation. So the act itself was going to Instagram stories as she was walking up to this homeless man on the street who was very disheveled, I'll put it that way. He was lying on his side and she filmed herself giving him a banana. When she did, she yelled out banana, gave it to him. He said, thank you. So I'll give her that. And then she walked away. I think the issue that I have with something like that is the benefit of doing that was positioning herself as a do-gooder. The cost was invading a man's privacy when he probably wasn't in the position to actually give it and give her uh, consent. And I think the incident did not need to be filmed. If you think about it, the benefit of him getting a banana that day and being able to have lunch would have been the exact same if she had given it to him off camera. There is absolutely no reason for that to be filmed. I understand when people say, oh, but it's promoting doing a good act. There are so, so, so many other ways to promote doing good acts and giving to homeless people that doesn't include filming yourself, giving this man a banana, getting his face in the shot and completely violating his privacy and treating him like a zoo animal. Yes, and I think that's exactly the point because there were a lot of arguments on this thread, which was very interesting to read through, of people saying, why is it a bad thing that somebody is doing something good on social media? When social media is such a platform for people to post ab shots or to people to post photos of their bodies or their aesthetics, why is it a bad thing that somebody is doing something good? And I think it's exactly as you said, in that you can do good without always putting yourself at the center of the story. And I think what Instagram has taught us is that we can be the center of every story, but we don't need to be the center of every story. You can do a million things for good without it being all about you. And I agree in that what I found so uncomfortable about this exchange is it felt patronizing. It really felt patronizing. And it sort of exposed to me this kind of class issue where, One person is trying to be this savior for another, and I don't think that's helpful for anyone. Bottom line is, it's still good to give somebody a banana who might need it, but it doesn't need to go online. And I think that's sort of where we've become a little misguided. And I think we need to be savvy about it. Just imagine, I I was picturing in my head, thinking I'm going to give this man a banana, and then the next thought being, and I'm going to film it for my hundreds of thousands of fans. Mm-hmm. I think even picturing in your head someone walking up to a homeless man on the street, banana in one hand, camera in the other, it's just so bizarre to me that that's where we are at it's right now. It's a very calculated, premeditated process. Yes. That's not off the cuff. Yes. I think one way that you can promote giving food to homeless people, for example, is take a photo of yourself at a homeless shelter. Take a photo of yourself at a soup kitchen. Something like that. Yes, it's still a selfie. Yes, you could still it's argue. It's still a little like... But you're still... You're not invading anyone's privacy. I agree. You're not taking a photo of someone who hasn't given you the permission to do that. I think the thing that really frustrated me, frustrated me about that entire thing was it was largely, in my opinion, to make her look good rather than help the cause of homelessness across Australia. A couple of things. 
this influencer might turn around and say, well, I did ask for permission, but then there is still a kind of age-old debate, particularly in journalism, about how much consent somebody is able to give when they are vulnerable, how much power they have to give consent. And then the second idea that I do think is important to note is the very philosophical idea that in reality there's really no such thing as an altruistic move because a lot of people give to charity. A lot of people do good because it makes them feel good. And that's not a bad thing in any stretch, but I just don't think that that's an uncommon turn of events. However, at the end of the day, I'm still sort of, on the same thread as you. I just think it's interesting to sort of see all sides. Another dimension of this is the self-love movement. And I think it's so ubiquitous that we Mm. can rarely even point it out anymore because it's everywhere. But I think we have conflated self-love with being able to boast and gloat as much as we like whenever we like. I think, and I have told you this so many times, that the confidence movement, whether it be body confidence or career confidence movement, has been co-opted by people who want to be arrogant. I am all for having people be proud about their achievements. I just think there's a very careful line to walk that a lot of people don't know how to walk. I can list on a lot of hands the people that I follow on Instagram who I can tell are very proud of themselves and who I can tell very much like themselves without being arrogant. I think Olivia Rogers, who we just interviewed this week, Laura Henshaw is another one who I can tell very much is proud of the stuff that she does, but she never comes across as arrogant. It can be done. I know we can be... Zoe Foster Blake is another one. Exactly. I think it is important to recognize the people that do it right. There's a great interview that we put in our recommendations newsletter a couple of weeks ago with Michelle Obama and Oprah. And I think if you want an example of somebody who talks about themselves in a really positive way, who says over and over, I really like the person that I've become. I'm really proud of the stuff that I've done, but doesn't at all come across as arrogant. Listen to that interview because not at all are we saying that you shouldn't talk about the things that you've done or be proud of yourself. I just don't think it's helpful to anybody to have people blatantly brag because I think blatant bragging makes other people feel shit. Mm. It would be interesting as well to see what you guys get when you do a test online. So you can do the narcissistic personality inventory online. It is scored out of 40. If you get above a 20, you're like, oh, maybe a bit narcissistic. If you get above a 30, you're probably a narcissist. I did the test last year and I got 15, which is average of university graduates. I did it again last night and I got a 13. Keeping you humble. Well, I don't know. Maybe freelancing has made me feel a bit more (laughs) self-conscious about myself. But it'll be interesting to see what you guys get. Celebrities often get around the 20 mark and above, which I think is pretty fascinating. It'd be interesting to see what Instagram influencers get. So if you guys want to hop into the Facebook group, Shameless Podcast Community, tell us what your score is because I think it is really fascinating. We will put that link in the group when this episode drops so that you can do it because it is very fascinating. It's also, we should say, not an indictment on the kind of person that you are altogether. No, it's just something to be cautious of and aware of. I think my mum got a one Mm. when she did it, which to me was like, mum, love yourself a little bit more. But yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Apparently healthcare professionals get under 10 on average, which I also find really, really curious. Um, I do want to finish this segment. I don't want people to think that we hate everyone on Instagram. So I do, <laughs> we don't. I do Trust wanna, us. I know when... that we just mentioned Liv Rogers and Laura Henshaw and, of course, Zoe. 
I do want to mention other people that I like following on Instagram. Susan Carland is one of my absolute favorites, as is Jamila Rizvi. And last night I spent probably 20 minutes going through both women's following lists. Mm. And I actually just went through and followed a whole bunch of people they follow. Because if I love their content, I'm probably going to love the things that they follow on Instagram as well. And I found so many inspirational, diverse kick-ass women to follow so even go through my following list and follow the last 50 people i've followed as well because you guys will probably like them carly finlay is another really good one that i like to follow who i can tell is very proud of the work that she does but never once does it come across as arrogant there are so many good people to follow and i think i've been stuck with the same following that i've had since i started on the platform and never once even though we talk about how shit instagram can make us feel have i thought about actually culling that and really rejigging the list of people that I follow. So I think this has been this conversation and us really deep diving this has been a big wake up call for me in thinking I do have the power to shape this platform for it to be anything that I want it to be. Why don't I give myself the power to do that? Yeah. And I think the thing for me when I go through my Instagram followers is I want to think, do they talk about what's in their head more than what their body looks like? And that is my main criteria for judging whether or not I want to follow them anymore because I don't want to encourage a world where women are constantly valued by their bodies. I want to go to women and follow women who talk about what's in their heads and that's the main thing I'll be using when I follow people in the future. It began with a video from Samantha Ravender and now some of the industry's biggest names like Patricia Bright and Lauren Curtis have jumped on board too. Some of the beauty industry's most influential voices are saying no to beauty PR packages, lamenting the vast amount of waste in the industry. So in an era of hauls, be it clothing or beauty, Mish, do you sense that the tide is turning against brands that send excessive amounts of stuff to influencers that's just going to waste? Absolutely. And it's weird because I think out of every segment we've ever done, this will probably be the most confronting for me. Mm, Me too. Because I've never felt so much guilt. And in the last week when we decided we were going to do this segment, I have completely overhauled the way I live my life or the way I plan to live my life in the future. Because I put my head in the sand for so long when it came to environmental environmental issues. You and everyone else, Scott Morrison included. Well, I don't know if it's everyone else because I have – read so much from millennials online and obviously there was the schools protest around Australia this week where school kids walked out of school based on climate change so this is something that young people are talking about. I wonder if there's a difference between Gen Y and Gen Z. Mm. I think Gen Z are a little more um, woke. A little more work than we are, for sure, and a little more attuned to what's going on because they are the ones that are going to be living through an an entire environmental crisis. Absolutely. I've done some research and I've watched so much of The War on Waste, which was the ABC documentary series, Mm. and I completely missed that last year and there was season two this year and I've gone through and watched every episode now and I'm kind of horrified that I refused to engage with any of it because it was a massive movement and I missed it and I feel guilty now. But I think there is a stat that we all need to pay attention to. If you're a millennial, it is quite likely that you have thrown away clothes in the last month. 75% of Australians have thrown away clothes, not donated them, not recycled them, thrown them away in the garbage. And millennials are buying half of our wardrobes within the space of 12 months. That's crazy. 
crazy. Half of our wardrobes in the space of 12 months. Like surely you should be able to bring things across years and across seasons that you can rewear. But because we're so invested in fast fashion, we are churning through so much. I think this is hugely linked to the segment that we just came off because I would go as far to say we are in the worst possible era to encourage young people not to buy fast fashion because we're also in an Instagram era that tells them they can never be seen in the same outfit. Yeah, well, how many hauls do you see? Exactly. There is so much stuff around. There is so much variety of stuff around and we are buying it. ASOS announced in April 2018 that its revenue for this year is up by 28%. And the number of visits to its site exceeded 1 billion for the first time ever. Profits at Boohoo, the online fashion retailer, soared 22% in the most recent six-month sort of financial check. And Zara and H&M are worth billions more than Chanel. If that doesn't tell you what we're buying and what our habits are saying, nothing else will. Which brings me to the opposite side of my brain, which when I'm thinking, oh, I'm investing in fast fashion too much or I just bought a really cheap T-shirt, the other side of me goes, well... It's kind of tricky to not buy fast fashion because you probably can't afford it. Mm. And I think this is a huge issue for all of us that we need to talk about, that not everyone has the money to buy clothes that aren't fast fashion. I'm on a decent salary. I rent an apartment, but I also have other expenses in my life that mean that when I want to buy a basic white T-shirt, I probably don't want to spend more than $20. Mm. And that will be contributing to fast fashion, but it's very isolating to tell young women and young men that you're out of line for buying something cheap and fashionable when your income doesn't enable you to spend anything else. This is my biggest frustration with this conversation because it is shrouded in shame. There's a lot of shame in talking about people that might shop at H&M and Zara and all of the others. Which I do all the time. Which I do. I'm putting my hand up and saying I buy a lot of my stuff from there. It's it's no doubt why the wonderful YouTubers can call this stuff out now because they are in a position of privilege where they don't need the free makeup. And so they can say, let's not do it anymore. We're encouraged often to make one good investment piece rather than a handful of $20 shirts. And people say, well, it's the same amount of money and there's one compared to five different items. The reality is, and what that ignores, is the vast amount of people who simply can't put $200 down at once. Mm. And I think that is what is missing in this conversation. I think in comparison to, say, our parents' generation Our lives are incredibly expensive. Uni costs a lot. Wages aren't rising as fast as rent. It's near impossible to crack into the housing market. Young people must be exhausted by by all the things they're told they're doing wrong. We aren't saving enough to be able to buy a house. Apparently, it's our fault that we can't crack into the housing market. And now we're telling them that they're not spending enough on clothes. I think that's a really, really hard one. Yeah, I... I do feel guilty, but at the same time, I don't really see a way out. I know that influencers often champion recycling and vintage shopping, but in my life, as someone who isn't very heavily invested in fashion, and I'm not, I'll put my hand up. I don't, I like dressing myself. I like buying a nice outfit. Which everybody (laughs) appreciates. Thank you so much. (laughs) I'm sitting here naked. Um, Which it's nice. Like going shopping is nice. However, I can't afford to do it all the time. And it's not a huge passion of mine. So when you see people go, oh, we'll just do vintage shopping. That's fucking terrifying for me. What oh, the hell would I buy if I went? It's needle in a haystack, truly, vintage shopping. And who also has the time? We are all so busy juggling a million things, a million jobs, all of our social commitments. How are we going to go out and spend five hours sifting through a whole lot of trash to find one piece of treasure at a vintage market? market? 
I know that that is the ideal. However, it is not accessible to so many of us. I have a confession to make and I do have a correction to make too from a few weeks ago, maybe even a few months ago. We got a lovely email from a listener this week who wanted to take us, but particularly me, to task on our conversation that happened a while ago that we did in the Quick and Dirty, I think, about the hunter markets, which are markets that are created for influencers to sell on clothes that they might have been gifted for free or that have. And the issue that I had at the time was not with the concept, but it was the struggle that I had with influencers selling clothes I got given for free to young girls. That was the issue. But this email said it was the concept was sort of the brainchild of a very entrepreneurial 18-year-old girl who saw the need for these influencers to not throw these clothes out, but for also young girls to have access to clothes they might not be able to afford in any other capacity. Stuff starts at maybe $5 and it's not a massive money spinner, but it is in the hope that we don't just continually buy fast fashion, that we are really considerate of where our clothes are going. I still think there is room for influencers to give stuff to charity in a way that's very helpful, but I think that's an important correction that I make, that I was wrong in that context. And if my boyfriend is listening, he probably just fainted hearing me say that I was wrong. (laughs) Well, I think our error with that segment was we were thinking too much about influencers profiting from something they were given for free rather than who's actually benefiting from those markets, which is young women. I think vintage shopping and op shopping and recycling clothes is great. I hope that there's some way that we can make it more accessible and easier for women. I feel like even an online op shop marketplace would be such a good idea. Have I just given away the most entrepreneurial (laughs) idea I've ever had? No, because that's what vintage marketplace is on ASOS. So it's not like the most brilliant idea you've ever had. I do have to say... I actually feel sorry for influencers in this case because I think it's a a lose-lose situation. If they are gifted something that might be well-made, very sustainable and very expensive, people will take them to task for advertising a product that young people can't afford. If they are then advertising clothes that are fast fashion retailers that are pumping out so many clothes that aren't good for environment, we're also going to take them to task for not being good for the environment. I don't think they are in any position to win here and therefore I don't think they're in the wrong at all and they're not the ones that we should be looking to. I think we should be looking to brands and asking them to create us clothes that are well-made, that are going to last us, that aren't going to cost an arm and a leg. And I also think we should be looking at ourselves and saying, I should not take myself so seriously in a way that means I can't post the same info, the same outfit twice on Instagram. Mm. I think it's looking at our behavior from that point of view too. Yeah, I absolutely love that. I do think the environment is a social and political issue that we all need to take some ownership over. I have it's been, not sexy. No, it's not sexy, but I've been really confronted over the last week as to my own habits. So my first thing is that I'm giving up coffee cups. I'm investing in a keep cup. I bought one online. That was my first thing. Good. I will no longer use straws in cafes or restaurants. I will ask for them to be removed because there is absolutely no need for them. I have a hand. I have a mouth. I can do the work for myself getting the liquid That's so into great. my body. I think we need to put pressure on Australian state governments, particularly the Victorian government, to incentivize plastic recycling. So in South Australia, they've got the 10 cent back scheme for plastics, and that has hugely helped clean out plastics out of their waterways and rivers. The Yarra River is currently bursting with plastic, and it seems like there can be such an easy solution. If something is worth 10 cents, mums and dads will hold on to them and actually take them in bulk to be properly processed instead of dumping them. Don't you think that is so South Australia? They do so much 
stuff under the radar. (laughs) So we're so loud about our own shit that we've realized that they're doing a lot of good. Remember when there was that whole plastic bag, Coles and Woolworths Bureau in Sydney and Melbourne and Adelaide were there like quietly putting their hands up being like, we've been doing this for years. (laughs) I think the last thing on my mind that can be easily fixed is we need clearer guidelines on recycling. Yes. I don't know. I will put my hand up and say, I'm 24. I don't know what the fuck I can and can't recycle. I don't know if I I have a very basic understanding of certain things that can be recycled. However, as it was pointed out in the episode of War and Waste that I watched last night, meat trays, the plastic meat trays that everything comes in, can you recycle those? Not even the experts know what's put in half of them. Wow, because I I would put them in recycling. Absolutely. And you can't put the majority of them in recycling. You're, you're so right. And there, it is a hard conversation to have without people thinking that they want to fall asleep while having this conversation. But I think when you do relate it to fashion and our spending habits and consumerism, it is important to empower people to realize that they have some sort of influence on this kind of thing. For me, I think I actually might go on a shopping ban for a while and just not buy anything. If, if, if a coat that's $300 is not on my sort of financial plan, then I'm not going to buy anything for a while if I'm only going to be reducing my spending to fast fashion. And those habits can be start just like that. Yeah. And we know that some of you guys are really invested in this stuff and we want to learn from you as well. If you know of any places that do great clothing that is affordable and not fast fashion, please put links to it in the Facebook group. I think now more than ever, it's an important conversation to have. We're leading into Christmas where lots of people buy new outfits, lots of people buy presents, lots of people get given clothes as gifts. And I think if we can all make a little slight change to invest in fashion that is either recycled or uh, sec- I don't know, pre-loved, is that the word for it? it pre-loved word fashion. It. If you know of an online marketplace that is really good for vintage clothes, please educate us, put it in the Facebook group because I definitely want to start changing my Same. behavior for the better. I think that's a great idea. Come to the Facebook group, Shameless Podcast Community. We will be in there too. And for now, I think that's all we've got time for. I think it is. Thank you so, so much for all your support of the podcast. We will ask this week if you could leave a review on iTunes if we would so, so, so appreciate it. Um, it's kind of tricky. You actually need to make a unique nickname. Someone yes. asked me about this this week. Put in a bunch of characters. If it's not processing, you can't just put in Michelle. You need to put in like Michelle one 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 seven 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 nine eight or yeah. something like that for it to actually go through. If you could leave us for a review, we would so appreciate that. As always, keep putting uh, us up on your Instagram stories. Whenever you're listening, where you're listening, we get some of the most interesting photos from you guys listening in the most interesting locations as we sit at our not very attractive desks and it looks like you're all doing very cool things. So keep doing that. We love seeing that. In the meantime, we will be in Facebook, on Facebook. In Facebook. Will we? On Mm. Facebook? In Facebook. At Facebook? (laughs) Sitting on Facebook? (laughs) And we'll be on Instagram as always. We are all of the places. We also have a newsletter. Have we hoard ourselves out enough yet? I think that is enough shameless self-promotion. We will be narcissists soon. (laughs) Ourselves. (laughs) We're just going to be just massive hypocrites. (laughs) The Hypocrite Podcast. We need to go. This is just going rogue. This is the worst ending we've ever done. Congrats. It took us 38 episodes. It's a terrible one, but it's because we haven't stopped ourselves and redone this one. (laughs) We've tried to plow through. We are sticking with this. All right, guys, we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Hello, guys. Mish here. I am the co founder of Shameless Media. 
Thank you so much for giving us your ears and your mind and your time. We're so grateful. If you enjoy the stuff that we produce, may I recommend our brand new podcast, Style-ish. Style-ish, if you want to say it quickly. Style-ish, if you want to take the long way through. It is our podcast for all things fashion, brand, business, and beauty. If that is in your wheelhouse, if you care about style content, you will love this show. It is, of course, more than just a show as well. It is a newsletter. It is an Instagram feed. It is a TikTok account. There is so much good stuff going out on Stylish every single day starting now. So in your favorite app, search for Style-ish. Give it a listen. Give it a follow. We are an independent media company and we would be so, so grateful for all your support. That's all for me, guys. Check out Stylish and have a good one.